0: The Bazaar is an explicit radio program. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome! Got something that might interest you.
1: (laughs) Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the show, the Internet's favorite hard chat show, bringing you the very best from the pages to the screen and everywhere in between. Tonight's episode I have with me paul williams he has an upcoming project frank and mary it's all very interesting i kept him waiting we dove deep into paul and what he is about and that's pretty much it it's a lovely episode great guy to chat with and i hope you enjoy here you go Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this spectacular show. This is episode 38. I have with me Paul Williams. Paul, say hello to everyone. Hello. Paul, now, I asked this of everyone. They're probably sick of this question. I need to just splice it in and stop recording it. But for those in the audience who might know who Paul Williams is, what is Paul Williams and what do you do with yourself?
0: Ah, uh, Of course. I'm Paul Williams. I'm a a, a British. I'm a writer, director, uh, of, and I've got a company called Evil Hypnotist Productions, and we make independent horror films.
1: Excellent. And there's a lot to dissect there now. I don't know where to start. Let's <laughs> start from the beginning. You ha- you're, so, you're a writer, director. Yes. How did that start? Let, let's try and go back as far as we can. I'll when did back you.
0: In the mists of time. Um, exactly. Quite Quite a while ago. I think I've been making films pretty much since I was about 15. Uh, it's kind of something I always kind of knew I wanted to do. So kind of a few gullible friends uh, when I was really young, got a, got a sort of eight eight millimeter camera to kind of do these little shorts back then. And uh, when I went to university, I just tried to carry, carry that on and, and luckily found a really good course in Portsmouth University, which was kind of English and creative studies. And kind of that really helped hone my skills and I managed to do a short film At the end of my course uh that kind of set up evil hypnotist productions and kind of and went from there
1: excellent and then i'm just thinking 15 what was happening before that we have to go even deeper
0: (laughs) even deeper uh probably before i was 15 i always wanted to be a vet i guess so that was my first calling i don't know why uh and then i think i just sort of i've always loved films uh horror sci-fi anything kind of genre based is always interested me and I think uh, telling stories has always interested me and film was just the the, the quick at that time was the quickest way of getting something I say the quickest way I mean I'm talking back in the 90s when you were kind of using VHS's two VHS machines to edit Yeah, Uh, yeah and now now that you know now filmmaking is so accessible and so much easier it's incredible really I think I've grown up with the digital revolution of of independent filmmaking, which is what's made it so exciting. Just the ease of ease of being able to get uh, stuff onto the screen is has been incredible to kind of watch the evolution of that.
1: Yeah, I think are you what's known as the generation? Is it millennials where you had an analog youth but a digital adulthood? Is
0: yeah. I mean, I I mean, I'm not. I mean, I don't mind saying, but I've just hit forty, so I've kind of I grew up. Yeah, kind of nineties was when I started making films. So, I, yeah, definitely started off analogue. And like I said, we used to just have to hook up any machine we could find to kind of edit. And you couldn't go backwards. You could only go forwards. You could never kind of change. I mean, my first film I did at university, we, we, it ended up being half an hour long. And I have to say, like, a very slow 30 minutes because we just couldn't edit back. You know, looking back on it now, I wish it probably was a five-minute short that turned out to be 30 minutes. <laughs> but, 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 we, but we just couldn't uh re-edit it so we just had to, to live with what we got
1: right i see and then i suppose i'm going to go the third layer deep now what would have been <laughs> your first sort of movie memories then that really sort of get it what's your kind of earliest memory there that's standing well, yeah out? i
0: mean yeah and again like i said the, the analog generation of i mean i'm i'm kind of the video video guy and going down a video shop and I, I clearly remember kind of getting out the evil deads and uh you know, the Friday the 13th from the video shop and then sort of sneaking those home and kind of watching those very early in the morning before anybody got up in a kind of cinema-like environment. I made sure the room was dark. I made sure nobody was getting up and, and kind of consumed my, my horror that sort, of, that sort of way. I mean, my mum was very good at kind of editing out, you know, uh, not letting me watch stuff. But then I think she gave up and I remember uh, recording me aliens. Uh, sort of late night one one night going oh you like sci-fi you'll love this and being completely and utterly scared but 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 so drawn in by the the horror of it and and the storytelling of that
1: right and would your parents then have been fans like genre fans themselves or where do you think it initially was it just the cover art
0: of the vhs do you think that's something that would be lost now with streaming where there's not necessarily covers (laughs) it's a whole yeah i mean it's a whole different the way you consume media now is so different from how I, used, you know, how I used to do it in the '80s of, of kind of either you know you go down a video shop and it and it be gone like that, that's the awful thing of there'd be a year between it being on the cinema and it coming out uh, on VHS and nowadays it's like you know it's almost it's instantaneous sometimes and yeah it is and and so but so then you you go down a video shop and it might be there it might not be there uh, so there's that anticipation of being the first to, to see a film and obviously. Being younger and, and having to get sort of your parents to kind of get you out the the proper proper stuff rather than the the family friendly bits. I mean that's where I think my my mum and and dad kind of let me probably ex- exposed a bit too young to to some 18s. And obviously obviously the other way of doing it is to sneak around your friends and and they their parents would get out some stuff. I mean I remember one of my friends was a huge uh, sort of horror horror nerd and had everything. So I think that's that's another way I can kind of consumed it by going around the mate's house. But obviously nowadays you just switch on the app and it's and, and you it's use your mate's there. Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, use your mate's Netflix and you're there.
1: Excellent. Yeah. No, it seems to be a similar story with a lot of people I've talked to and myself included. How people get into it. It's definitely the video shop. You look at you know a VHS cover and you're like, wow, that looks amazing, and it usually ends up to be a pile of shit. You know, even my dad would have said that when videos just came out, uh, he was like, "Oh my god, this sounds amazing!" And it had some, you know, unbelievable title like the fucking bone crusher or something stupid, yeah. and it's just a, <laughs> just a pile of shit. And uh, I think that's how people get into it because I'm going to assume that you don't really get, you know, afraid of horror. will say you. Just nearly, I find it nearly comical sometimes. Think,
0: yeah and I think it's it's the rules of it I mean my wife hates horror I mean she can't stand it like and, and then we watch a horror film and I'm five steps ahead of where the story's going or where the shot and I said, well the, the way they've placed the camera there's a gap there there's a gap behind her, there's a dark window there's you know there's rules that not only the rules of the story but also the rules of how you shoot a horror film and because you're sort of a couple I'm a couple of steps ahead of it it doesn't the jumps don't scare me as much as as they as they used to i mean obviously when i was younger you weren't expecting it but that every every horror film does sort of tick a certain box of how it's shot yeah i and think, I think so. I, and 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 that's you know through making now making horror films you kind of i try and use that knowledge especially horror because it's so um it's so embedded in us. i think and oh most genres now i think that's the other thing moviegoers your your audience is so t- in tune with how films work, and and you've got to you've got to always be one step ahead of your audience, which is getting harder and harder to do.
1: Yeah, definitely. Because um, I don't know. Did you go recently? Go out and see the Quiet Place?
0: No, I haven't seen that yet. No, i have not that.
1: I heard good things about it, and I'm mm. always skeptical because you know, as like a horror fan, you have a different expectation to Joe Soap, who's going in for a cheap scare, but. Oh my God, like what they did. As soon as you think genre is <laughs> saturated and dead and something comes out that you're like, wow, they just reinvented the wheel kind of thing. It's really interesting to go see it because it's mostly silent and one of the lead actresses Probably. is in real life, deaf. Yeah. So yeah. the kind of story behind it was actually all the cast and crew learn sign language anyway. So it's all very genuine. Mm. So when they are interacting with her, it's all very suspenseful because obviously don't want to make noise and i won't ruin it for you won't ruin it for the audience (laughs) but definitely in this day and age but things are getting like really meta everything's from a series everyone's trying to have like a dark universe going on or shared universe like when is that going to end that's a whole different uh kind of worms that we could
0: (laughs) well yeah i've just i've just I just saw Infinity War today, so uh, Ooh, um, I'm going to watch that on Monday. I think. Yeah, yeah, no spoilers, but it's uh, but that that's it, it's yeah, it's incredible, and it's incredible how you watch Infinity War and how Marvel get it right, and how DC and and so many others get it wrong. And you think again, like you say, you think with Quiet Place, and there's so many superhero films. It's like, well, of course you get this right. Look at all these these ones that have come before. But I think Marvel have got the. The right stuff, and they seem to be doing it right. And DC have no idea. yeah And the Quiet Place has obviously dug into something that that you think of horror is is. Oh, it, there's been thousands of horror films, but there's always a twist. There's always a way of of making it new and fresh, which is what what's really exciting about horror, specifically as a genre. I think that's that's definitely what excites me about horror that it's so open. That I mean, we did uh, a short, The Third Man, uh, about sort of eight years ago now, which which is my first proper sort of horror film, I mean, sort of horror comedy. Yeah. Uh, but what we found is that the horror audience is so wide and open. I mean, horror itself can go from like a thriller through to like a core oh, comedy. Yeah. So that's what makes horror so, the horror genre so interesting because it's more than drama and comedy and sci-fi. I think it's so much wider, open to different interpretations of, of what it is.
1: Well, of course, because it's very primal. I mean, fear is the basest of emotions. So it really taps into your psyche. So you don't know where the horror will come from in a horror movie. I mean, horror is really an umbrella term for many suspenseful movies. As you said, it could be thriller, comedy, etc. Sci-fi, you know, there's many avenues to be scared. But um, like I think the likes of will say... Uh, Gilmero del Toro. Everyone says, "Oh, he's the master of horror."
0: This and the next. I would argue he hasn't made a horror movie. True. I mean, I think Devil's Backbone is probably his most horror, uh, and then everything else is more fantasy. I'd say than than horror. Yes. But, yeah. I mean, and and there's another. I mean, yeah, and there's another person that yeah, it just twists the whole genre. I mean, I haven't seen Crimson Peak, so I don't know about I've that. I've seen Crimson Peak,
1: horror. and that is just <laughs>
0: that that is
1: like a. It's like, oh god! It's like a period piece mm. with spectral elements, but really, it's a period piece, <laughs> a love okay. story. But everyone was like, yeah. "Oh my god, it's the new unbelievable horror by Guillermo del Toro." And I'm like, he doesn't make horror movies.
0: No, and there I, I is guess he never elements. Really, yeah, 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 and then, and I guess he never really did. I think I think Devil's Backbone was very like Pan's Labyrinth in that kind of yeah. child focused coming of, what, of age what, story yeah exactly yeah and what is he really seeing is he really seeing it and is it yeah and i think like you said it's it's he's very good at the visual stuff and the the, the fantasy of it I think. yeah
1: but he's very much um like a a movie scholar i guess because he mm. he does take cues from you know 70s 80s 90s even like he's very acute to yes. what's actually going on and what makes Heart tick and so good that's why he is hailed he's I suppose the Spielberg of horror, you could say, is that a? I don't, I don't <laughs> no, that's that a that, big no, thing.
0: No, no, that's the good take of it, and I think that's you know now he's got his Oscar. He's he's um I know he's now doing animation. I mean, I've watched. I mean, I've got two children, and we we watch Troll Hunter, the sort of ne- is it Netflix series he's done. I mean, that's very good, but it's borrowed a lot heavily from 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 sort of fantasy and and. Stuff I used to watch, kind of labyrinth and all that eighties yeah. influenced. I mean, and going, going back even further, sort of grim fairy tales and all that. I mean, he's very, like you said, he's a chameleon of, of 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 genre, but he's very good at picking and a bit like Tarantino, he's very good at picking and choosing. Yeah, what he wants to pastiche and take and and take, make it his own.
1: Of course, and then just going back to yourself, then. You had your first short according to your IMDb in 2001. Is that the one that you made in college or is that a later one?
0: Uh, that, that is that sold or is that Mightier? I can't remember Mightier, what my is. Mightier. is the one we made just after graduating. So that was my first, which is a love triangle between two people and a pen. Uh, so it's a kind of a twisted, weird little love story. When right. that, that's the one I did directly out of. Of university, that was kind of what? What should I do? And again, it's got some all made together, uh, and and made. But I, but it did. Put, um, it did okay. We did a, a little festival run, but then it won uh, an Irish award actually, a cine, a cine magic award back oh, in the day uh, of the young young filmmaker of the year, apparently. Super.
1: And then, I suppose, was that the first one then under Evil Hypnotist Productions then?
0: The, the one we did at university was the first one under that. I don't know, I, um, I don't know if you ever saw Spaced, which is an old B, uh, British sitcom. Uh, Simon Pegg's kind of first television. I
1: think uh, I uh, might have seen some of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, they kind of did a lot of little sketches, a bit like um, fast show kind of stuff. They, they have an Evil Hypnotist sketch, right. which is where the, the, the production name came from back when I was at university, so the first Stole, which was uh, the, the film we did in my final year at university, which was about a drunk, a drunken student night, and they all sell their soul to the devil while they're pissed, yeah, and when nice. they wake in the morning, and they don't realize until they wake in the morning and sober up. So that was the one we, the first Evil Hypnotist Productions, production. Oh, excellent. Uh,
1: and then you had it set up as a company at that stage or was it just this is what was, we're doing,
0: this is a banner kind of thing? Yeah, at, at first it was just that. It was me uh, and my, my friend Paul Terry who, who composes and produced the early shorts. Uh, we came up with the name and founded the company and then once we graduated and decided that's what we wanted to do as a, a kind of career path, uh, we formed the company uh, when we graduated. So, so sort of incorporated then and, and did all that legal stuff. <laughs> as well as kind of trying to try to make as many shorts and, and films as we could.
1: Right. And then I suppose having set that up and like I suppose it was more of a vocation than a job. Is that something you stuck at or was there anything else on the side? Like when did you actually start making a living out of it then?
0: Uh, not for a long while, I think. I think for the first kind of few years, I mean, it's, it's, you're, you're kind of doing it as a creative, as a passion kind of thing, as a side thing. You know, trying to live. I mean, this is kind of when when you're in your early twenties and you're kind of trying to live in London. I mean, I, I kind of lived at home when I as as always when you graduate from from university with a degree, you end up working at H and V, and that was kind of my my career path for that moment. But obviously, I wanted to move out of home and and move into London and 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 become an adult and all that kind of stuff. But that needs money and a job, and so at that time, filmmaking was kind of my passion, and I knew I wanted that to be my career, but. It, how I could turn that into my career I wasn't that sure of at that time and so gradually over the years I've you know become a more of a freelance filmmaker on the side and doing kind of other projects that aren't the film projects as a filmmaker um, kind of with theatre companies and uh, with with other companies doing uh, prom- promotional work and so that's how that's kind of turned that into the money making bit and then the filmmaking still is kind of that sort of passion and what you want to make the money from eventually so i think that's that's still the goal and still something we're working really hard at and it's it's just a long it's a long old road and i think it's just something you just got to keep keep plugging at and just hopefully making really good stuff
1: of course like i mean it is very interesting because again i've talked to a few people and they love making movies and it's a very much a passion but what puts the bread on the table is the freelance work, the kind of corporate stuff. So it's interesting, like, nearly after 20 years now, are you still enjoying making movies? Is it still a driving passion of yours? Or do you wish you uh, did accounting
0: or something like that? (laughs) It's that, and I think, it's just you can't think of doing anything else. I think, and you get to that point now, after 20 years that, it's just what what i do and I think it's the hardest thing i've ever had to, to think is is to call myself a filmmaker which just sounds ridiculous because it's what i do but I think because you always look at what you, what, what is your job and what is that earns you money is, is actually what what you should call yourself but i think I've been making films for so long now and, and doing the freelance work as a filmmaker as well that you can now actually properly call yourself. A filmmaker but i think it's what you identify as it's, it's horrible when it's what what earns you money is what you identify as rather than the thing you're most passionate about and the thing you actually do do hmm. uh and i think that's that's been and it, that was a difficult sort of transition for me to make but i think um now yeah i just can't imagine doing anything else and i think we are you know with it's just setting up projects and setting up it just takes so much time and i think even though it's been long old road of, of 20 years I mean at the moment we're trying to do feature projects as well as film projects and feature projects does take so long to put together because you're basically asking somebody to trust you with you know half a million pounds a million pounds yeah, of, of, of their money to try and to try and get a feature project off the ground so since the success of the third man which was was probably our our, big, our biggest success um just did really well for us so since then, just been writing feature projects to try and, and and we're working on one of those at the moment, which will hopefully come together sort of next year. But it just, it just, it's that, it's that time factor. It just, you've got, you've got to keep at it and keep that confidence that, that when that opportunity comes, you're ready for it, really. Because I think that's, it. it all these things just happen so quickly after taking so long putting them together of course yeah it's
1: like a really small window at the end once all the pieces are in place isn't it
0: that's it that's it now go shoot for three weeks quickly uh and and finish that film and uh, get out there so it's it's after yeah hammering away for a few years on a on a script and then suddenly you've got to film in three weeks it's 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 a bit it's a it's a crazy process i think in some ways the the best thing about the doing it for so long as well is i built up an amazing team behind me because that's the other thing about filmmaking it's not just me I mean, the other thing, I because I write as well as direct, I mean, writing is such a a, a lonely kind of, exciting but very lonely process. And that's what I've been doing for the last kind of five years uh, over these kind of got a slate of projects now, a slate of three feature films, which is is great. But it's been a very lonely process getting to this point because I get feedback from the team. But obviously between drafts, it's just me in front of the computer. So that's why... Uh, This year, I think, I I just wanted to do another short, um, A, because it's been so long since I did the last one, but I've just been writing for so long, I just wanted to get behind the camera again and uh, get those muscles working again before we we roll on the, the feature project next year.
1: Excellent. Now, I have a few questions now off the back of that. Yes. So, you were just saying that you need to persevere, and obviously you did, otherwise we wouldn't be speaking today, so you have persisted, but going back to when you're finishing college and obviously you were saying that you were interested when you were 15 like just a very short answer were your parents always encouraging you from then like from the very beginning making movies
0: yeah i think yeah they were i think they never um been discouraging at all and i and i took a very bizarre i mean i i was going to do i knew i want to be a filmmaker i think that 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 was very clear to me i watched clerks a very young age and that, that really influenced me and all that i mean 90s was great for independent cinema i mean it's changed a lot now uh but i think independent cinema in the 90s was so inspiring to kind of just grab a camera go get some friends you can go and do it and, and i was inspired by that and so it's all something i always wanted to do and and my parents were always very encouraging uh, towards that, but then I, I don't know, and I, and I knew I wanted to do it, but unfortunately, I think the education system in at that time was very anti-creative arts, and it didn't really understand how to support that. So I think I, I, I knew I wanted to do it through my A levels and GCSE, uh, and when it came to actually going to university, uh, at that time I don't know if they still do it, but you had to do a foundation level in art. In order to do an art course or a film course right so it's another another whole year of, of basically deciding what you want to do and i said well i knew i know what i want to do i want to make films no 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 you need to take a year to to try very different mediums of art and then just i get you, you. yeah yeah uh, and i and i knew i wanted to be a filmmaker and uh but i got into this course and during the summer between a levels and going to to do my foundation of an art I said, fuck it. I'm going to go do paleontology. That's, I still don't know why. I don't know why I made this decision, but I just looked through a clearing, saw a paleontology course. I did geology at at A-level and I thought, yeah, I'm going to sod it. I'm going to go do that because I don't want to do this foundation. I know I'm a filmmaker. Yeah, I'll do that in a minute. I'll go to university and I'll do paleontology. And it was just, it was the best decision I made because it got me out of London. It got me to, to, to be a, a, a university student which is i think a lot more about learning about yourself than than learning a course i still believe and, course, I think, and how
1: to interact with other people
0: uh, that's it how to cook how to live how to do all that stuff yeah. i think I, I didn't know that i bought you know you're, you're brought up by your parents and you have no clue uh how but when i was at get here <laughs> exactly thank you very much Mum. that's fantastic so yeah. it's uh that it was the best decision i made because when i was at doing this paleontology course and realizing over that year, what have I done? This is, this is not me. Uh, I found the English and creative studies course at Portsmouth at the same place I was already at and managed to, to switch course. So I was at university for four years, but, but it was the best decision, decision I made. Cause I met Paul Terry, who is now is still a collaborator now, uh, and still we you know, we're very close friends, but also, uh, close collaborators for all the film projects. So it. it it was the best decision I made, but it was a very weird road to kind of to go down.
1: Right. And then I guess that took us up to exactly where I wanted, which was the end of college. So as the follow on question, then obviously you were very passionate about it. And I suppose I shouldn't nearly ask because I probably know the answer. Like after that, then when you're like, all right, I'm actually pursuing a career. where friends and family all ago or was it kind of like, oh, yeah, best of luck, Paul. I'll see you in McDonald's like next year. Or, like, what, was, what was actually the story? Uh,
0: I think, I mean, everybody has always been supportive. And I think I, I think I always try to support myself by having that kind of day job or at least part-time job to supplement the film. So it was always, he's doing okay. He's not kind of, um he's not on the bread line or he's not signing on and, and trying to be a filmmaker. I, I yeah, tried yeah. to kind of sensibly have that kind of day job. So I worked in theaters and I worked in, cinemas and, and doing that kind of side job to at least have an, an income yeah so it's a small you, amount you're being realistic in. sort of thing yeah and i think that that's that's kind of put me where i am now i mean you've got to be it's very i mean during the during the 20s it was it was very easy to get everybody together and go let's just go i mean we did a film called the wake yeah uh when i was in my mid-20s and that was no budget feature film and that came through purely us going oh fuck it let's do a feature film and you have no clue I mean, I did I did like three shorts before that, uh, and I just said, sorry, I'm going to do a feature film. A couple of things had happened in my life. I, I'd, I'd written this script, which was very kind of reflective of though, the situation I was in at that time. Yeah. Uh, so I felt very passionate about the script because of that, and I just sort of had this plan I said, I'm just going to do it. And because everybody else is in their 20s, everybody else is going, yeah, let's go do it. And again, because we did that, I met my director of photography, Eugen Gritschneider, who I, again, are still working with today. Uh, he was a graduate of the European Film College. And uh, I met him through a friend and, and she he just graduated and he was desperate to do a feature as well. I think you're kind of grown up to sort of studying shorts and doing shorts and he was desperate to do something a bit longer. So we just I just came along at the right time. And he's an amazing cameraman and he's carried on being a director of photography for the last kind of 15 years or so so he's we've both kind of grown up together and and got better together so now i know i can turn to him and and he can make everything look beautiful because he's a professional director of photography now Uh, but at that time and when we made the wake we we both had no clue we had one tripod two lights uh and and a crappy camera but we made a 90 minute feature film which you can sort of see on YouTube if you if you've got a spare 90 minutes that you want to kill uh it's on YouTube now and and we told a coherent 90 minute story which was the plan I mean it wasn't the plan to make the next clerks so the plan was just to kind of try and tell a story over that amount of time and and through you had through that experience I just met people I'm still working with today
1: yeah no that is like great to kind of see the growth and that you kept at it and you didn't kind of chuck it away But then, I suppose, through that learning and everything, I always wondered, you know, being a filmmaker, being part of the process, you've done the whole thing of planning a feature movie, has that ever affected how you consume media then yourself? Because I certainly don't think I'd want to know how the sausage is made. Maybe (laughs) I would appreciate, you know, bigger budget movies a bit
0: more or not. Not really too sure. How did it affect you? Uh, I think you always... You know, it's just no matter how shit like you were saying about those films with the, the you know, the video covers and everything up, oh, but it's shit anyway. But I think just that amount of effort it takes just to get something onto that VHS or that D V D or that streaming service, you you do have a lot of respect for just doing that, no matter what the quality of the end product, you know, whether it's a a you know, twenty thousand pound film through to Infinity War you yeah. know how much effort and, and and that takes how much collaboration that takes so i think you more appreciate film f- because you've kind of been in the trenches and you've and and you and i kind of learn all those sort of mistakes you make all those little problems you come up against and you think well that's just probably me because i'm trying to make a no budget feature but you suddenly realize no that's the same problem they probably had with Robbie Down Jr on Infinity War set yeah they probably had the same problems i had on the week yeah well, it's scaled up it and just it's, looks it's, it's a, it's, it's, yeah there's a, a lot more they got they got trailers to go to but it's the same process um and i think that's the brilliant thing about filmmaking and like i was saying before about how the digital revolution has has put these incredibly powerful cameras and equipment in the hands of amateurs and only call them amateurs just because you haven't learned your, your craft yet and and i think that's what takes the time and i think i'm Looking back at me as a filmmaker when I made The Wake, and me as a filmmaker now, I've just matured, hopefully, and I hopefully the stories I want to tell and the, the methods I use and and the, the lessons I've learned over the over the years only makes me a stronger and better filmmaker than I was when I was 20. So I think it's it's hopefully as going as I start the process of, of the new short and Frank and Mary, I'm a, my eyes are a lot more wide open to what I can achieve uh than the sort of naivete i had when i was 20 going of course i can do whatever i want and 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 you can but you just have to manage those expectations and manage those goals and uh and and still achieve and still achieve them i think
1: excellent well paul don't worry i haven't forgotten why we're here to talk i've just been (laughs) leading you down a path until we get to talk about it but i just want to make a quick side note Dad, if you're listening, I said the movie was The Bone Crusher, which I made up. I just remembered. It's Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. I hope you get yeah. a smile out of that one. Mm. Nightmares in a Damaged Brain from 1981, I think.
0: Ooh. Yeah,
1: so that's one for you to look up. That's definitely one that's always stood out in my mind. That <laughs> regales of the shit horror days is Nightmares in a Damaged Brain. <laughs> but yes, Paul, you have a new movie coming out soon. It's just soon. recently been... Successfully crowdfunded, which is great because uh, I always worry if someone gets in contact with me and they're crowdfunding and it doesn't go through, it's kind of like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was... you have it successfully funded. So, Jonah, tell us a little bit about Frank and Mary and what people can expect.
0: Of course. Yeah, this year marks the 200th anniversary of the, the uh, publication of Frankenstein, which is probably the only book I finished at university. Uh, when i was studying english and creative studies but it's an amazing book and uh, and obviously an amazing legacy of this character and a story that's, that's lived on so my take on this is my take on the sort of frankenstein story which i know has been retold many times and uh, in many different genres and and takes on it but this is hopefully a very british and um horror comedy take on it about a man who brings back his recently deceased wife in his garden shed uh, so it's kind of a DIY Frankenstein we're, we're trying to make.
1: Excellent. And then I'm just wondering, Frank, obviously Frankenstein, and then Mary for Mary Shelley, I assume. Yes. Is You're that it? Yes, you've seen you've seen through my. <laughs> my... <laughs>
0: I couldn't say the Steins or anything like that. So I just tried to yeah, a little a little homage to after the we did the Third Man, which is uh, again we kind of we sat down, we had the the man that cried werewolf uh, for ages. And then we said The Third Man, which was at the time we looked at each other and went, oh, that's Paul uh, when we were kind of writing the project. And, and yeah, we got to we got to make it now. It's a fantastic title. But as I learned when we, we did the festivals with The Third Man, you've got to keep explaining that it's, no, it's third as in F-U-R-E-D. Uh, so I think Frank and Mary is a lot easier title to kind of say Frank and Mary, Frankenstein, Mary yeah. Shelley. It's, it's yeah. easier to explain.
1: Because no, it kind of sounded when you first mentioned The Third Man there that it's, the Third Man. Exactly, that's, exactly. That's I mean, and that,
0: no, and that, that one of my favorite films, and, and and not in any way connected to the to the Third Man, but uh, but yeah, I think I learned the hard way that it's a great title if you see it written down, but to to tell it to people, it's, it's you have to always <laughs> explain it. Uh, So Frank and Mary, hopefully, is a lot easier.
1: Yeah, the man with the excessive body hair. (laughs) (laughs) Something really long-winded. But just to go back to Frank and Mary then. Yes. It's obviously coming to the 200th anniversary, as you were mentioning. What do you think you're going to bring to the table that hasn't already been done then in sort of all the incarnations and incantations surrounding Frankenstein?
0: Yeah, uh, well, I think our take is definitely it's a bit more of an emotional, it's more, more the theme of loss and the theme of not being able to let someone go. Uh, and because the weird thing about when someone dies uh, is that you, you have to report it. And I think you have to tell, ring an ambulance and make sure somebody comes to collect the body. And it was just the idea that what if somebody didn't, what if somebody thought, actually, I can fix this. Uh, she's, she's, not, she's not cold yet. I can bring her back. And I think we, 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 oddly we, we recently moved into our new house uh, from a from a flat so we now own a, a big three-bedroom house but unfortunately the person who lived here before was a bit of a bodger a bit of a diy she's a freelance money himself. is finally paying off <laughs> <laughs> i think my wife my wife having a full-time job and being very incredibly supportive like you were saying about um my parents being incredibly supportive i think my wife would be remiss if i didn't say she is the one that's uh, also incredibly supportive of my well i didn't career. want to ask but i got no. the answer i wanted anyway <laughs> Very good. but uh but, but yeah he was um a bodger and there's many bodge jobs that we had to fix in, in the right. first kind of few months of moving in uh, and that did inspire the idea of frank and his kind of weird obsession with being able to turn his hand to anything so why couldn't he turn his hand to to re-animating his, his wife uh but that's where the frankenstein kind of part of it comes in and obviously you can lean on the great iconography of 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 mary shelley's frankenstein and obviously the film frankenstein the sort of the the james whale frankenstein but we're going to try and make that in a shed and make that very small and 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 british very kind of hodgepodge kind of uh i don't know if you've heard of heath robinson uh who's an illustrator british illustrator who, who did a lot of the way I could describe it is kind of Wallace and Gromit inventions—the kind of boot that kicks the yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so that—that's the kind of style we're going for with not only the the lab, but also how he fixes Mary. So, I think our idea of the creature for, for the Frankenstein's creature that Mary will be turned into is is a kind of DIY nightmare, mm-hmm. rather than the kind of patchwork human that that you usually see. So hopefully that's a kind of unique take on on Frankenstein. But then also, I think it just lends itself to those deeper themes of of just not not being able to to let someone go. That if someone does pass away in your life, that you kind of have that mourning period. And and we're kind of what if you're looking at that kind of living corpse uh, of the, of the person you once loved and 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 so hopefully rather than just being a horror comedy, we do have that horror comedy in it uh that we're also trying to tell a kind of deeper story about um a man letting his his wife go really you know, and we're going to try and tell that in 10 minutes
1: <laughs> well you could have been absolutely really topical and still have the stein name because the real monster <laughs> would have been frank weinstein
0: <laughs> oh, oh well that'd be that's a whole other that that'd be a different that's a different me kind too, of monster <laughs> hashtag, hashtag me too horror is a uh, that's a genre I'm not, I'm not ready to touch, I think.
1: <laughs> you don't want to take up that responsibility quite yet? Uh, no,
0: not not yet.
1: Excellent. And then you were mentioning just before we started recording that this was actually not only popping your podcast cherry, but you were popping your crowdfunding cherry. So how did you decide that you wanted to crowdfund this one?
0: Uh, I think it was, I mean, it's, again, like I was saying about filmmaking is... is it's incredibly easy to to come up with a an idea and a team and the hardest bit is getting the money together i think that's that's always been the the kind of challenge for each project uh and as we're trying to get this feature film together like i said it's it's, you're trying to convince people to give you uh, a lot more than than the money we raise for the short but for the for crowdfunding it's something i've always looked at and i've always researched and every time i've kind of gone Yes, we could do that for this project that'd be fantastic and and i've seen successes and failures and it and it just scared the shit out of me and i think i never attempted it because of that because you just think you're just putting you're going all in and and you can and in my head you can only do it once you can only go to that well once and and you've got to have the right project and the right kind of um momentum behind it so i think this project it just felt like the right time it just felt like the right project to kind of um to do it with and and yeah it, it, it turned out to be to be right and it's and then we we raised the money we needed which is fantastic Great. due to yeah just to the generous support of of all our backers
1: yeah because i just want your opinion on this because once you got in contact with me you mentioned another campaign and that unfortunately didn't come to fruition as far as i saw so how what would you think like, what brings a good project? Do you think is timing? Do you think it's the network? How you promote it? What, what how did you go about it? Or what's your the see, the see,
0: the secret? The secret sauce. I, yeah. I wish I knew. I, I, I mean, I've, I, through research, now. I mean, that's what always scared me about it. And even when I started the project to start this Kickstarter, yeah, I did the same. I, I followed a couple of projects and, and they fell by the wayside as I was running my campaign at the same time. And I think that, you know, there's there's so much, when I first looked into it was when it all kind of started. Uh, with Kickstarter, well, it must have been about 10, about 10 years. How long have I been going for now? About 10 years ago. I so, yeah. And it's obviously a lot more successful for, it's weird that I think a lot of filmmakers thought, this is it, this is the golden chalice, this is how we're now going independent film, this is it. This is how we're going to make films from now on. And, and that was bollocks, because what happened was that games uh, became the number one thing. I think that 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 seemed to be the, the things that do the, the best on Kickstarter and films oh. fell by the wayside and then people yeah. like um then you got the veronica Marses, and you've got hollywood came in and said oh we can do this we can get a bit of this which is absolutely uh, bollocks fans
1: I... stop fucking paying for hollywood <sighs> productions they have plenty of fucking money <laughs> if exactly and, 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 stop fucking yeah. paying money for the well, baltimore galactica reboot or firefly
0: well yeah and it's exactly and zach braff kind of did that, that awful thing of already having the budget but then going to crowdfunding to try and raise just a bit more money and it's like well that's not what this is supposed to be for no this it's is supposed to be for like, yeah. and exactly and and there's and there has been successful sort of essentially it's meant to be a yeah, it's in the name, it's there, and, and Wolf Cop, and, uh, and super, uh, Kung Fury, super Ju- Kung yeah. Fury. There's been some great success stories, yeah. but obviously there's also a thousand people that, that didn't make their target. And, and that's what petrified me about doing it. Uh, and I think just reading up, researching as much as I could, knowing that we were going to hit that kind of plateau in the middle, knowing things were going to slow down, uh, having kind of plans to kind of inject a bit more enthusiasm in the middle of the project rather than just having that strong start uh because i think they always say you have a strong start and a strong finish but it's that middle that kind of scary two weeks that that things will just kind of stop happening that you've got to have a plan for that and so so it, it was exhausting i think that every day you're kind of on it every day you're kind of trying to push it without being too pushy. I mean, that was the other thing, following some projects, and they're just... Spamming you know, every two hours. Spamming, think, exactly. Yeah. And, you, and I think people... It works for a little bit, and then it, people lose interest. And I think I was very aware, like I was saying to you before we started, you know, social media to me is... is I know about it, but how I... how Some people are, are masters at using it, and I am, I am not. So I think I was just very aware of trying to use the right language on each, each platform. To try and get our, our message across without being irritating, without being yeah, annoying, it's
1: a different community across the platforms, as we said.
0: And it? That's it. So it, it was it was scary, and I, and 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 I, I I've learned a lot of lessons, and I'd, I'd probably do it slightly differently next time, and and if we did do it again, and and but at the moment it, we we hit our target, which is fantastic, and I'm just looking forward to to making making another show.
1: That's great, yeah, because um. When I was reading about it, I was like, oh, this kind of sounds interesting. Like, what is going to be the take? And then I watched The Furred Man with an F. (laughs) And I watched that this evening just as a little uh, refresher. And I just mentioned to you, as we were just on Hangouts there before we recorded, it has that British humor, like, down to a T, I think. I just noticed right away, even if you muted the whole thing and just watched (laughs) it, it was like, yeah, this is, like, British kind of dark comedy like so just on that little note is frank and mary also going to be like british comedy or is it actually you were mentioning going to be more emotional then so which kind of line are you going to try and walk that
0: i think i can never write anything that's not slightly funny so i think it's it's that's third man is definitely i think people uh always say to me oh that's the EHP style that's the evil hypnotist kind of style and i think that's that will come through in Frank and Mary and what, what that humor and that, that dark comedy is, 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 is definitely going to be there. And I think it's just important also to have with Frank and Mary, I just wanted to have that kind of another layer to it. I think it's like you said, you can watch your mute and still get a sense of it and, and that comedy will come through as well. But then I think we just want that other layer uh, beneath the comedy as well, a bit of poignancy and a bit of, because um, shorts are very, difficult things to write i think they're so after writing features for five years for, with three different projects it's so much easier than writing a short it's so odd that writing a 90 a 90 page script is so much easier than writing a 10 page script where you're trying to tell this really nice neat little story yeah uh, uh and i respect all short filmmakers because um it's it's i find it so difficult and that's why i haven't touched doing a short since the, the third man because we had a really good time making that and, and, it, and it did so well for us that I just I got frightened of going back to, to that because I thought I can't repeat that was definitely it felt like lightning in the bottle and, and for that for that project because everybody was so enthusiastic about doing it and we, we, we were trying things we hadn't tried before like creature effects and special effects and uh, and we knew what bar we wanted to hit with that and we, we definitely hit it. So with frank and mary i wanted to have the right story to tell to go back to doing a short film because i think you short films sometimes just feel like a sketch or they feel like a little gag whereas i wanted this one to just to feel like a proper little story
1: mm. and then i suppose like when you are doing the writing uh are you passing various drafts back and forth or do you come to people with a finished product and say what do you think of that like what has do you have a lot are you surrounded a load of yes men or will people say uh, oh that's an absolute pile of shit oh, you're go brilliant, back to the drawing board right?
0: there no you gotta you gotta have the people to say shit i think that i mean you always have your vomit draft you have your first draft where it's just you just spit out a lot of ideas yeah so you don't show that to anyone uh, then you redraft <laughs> uh and then send out hopefully a slightly more polished version of that to 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 the team and then their job is to tell me that shit or oh, that's good. I think that you've got to surround yourself with people who are honest with you. Otherwise you're never going to grow and you're never going to make something that's worth watching. Cause otherwise, yeah, you're just, it's, it's a, it's a horrible, a horrible thing to surround yourself with. Well, you've become George Lucas. I think <laughs> yeah, you make uh, you make, make episode one. Well, kind of,
1: <laughs> <laughs> kind of on the George Lucas point there of going back, making uh, episode one, but he also goes back and does a load of edits. When you're looking back at your own work, then are you kind of cringing like how do you actually uh, i suppose res- respond to your own work are you proud of what you've done or do you just look at it as sort of that was a time in my life i can see what i learned from there i see all the flaws or how do you consume your own stuff or do you even watch it
0: <laughs> uh, a bit i mean i haven't watched the wake in a long time but i think i've watched a bit of it i think while i was cleaning up uh, in preparation for the kickstarter actually just making sure everything was ready to go and i think you look back on that and you're kind of you're weirdly so sort of proud of what you achieved but obviously you see all the flaws and you see all the things you would do again and, and do differently but i think you've got to look at it as a window uh to what who you were and, and what you were trying to achieve at that time and never go back i think you know and and solo only shot shot first don't go back and yeah put in put in shit that you didn't need to put in and yeah. so there won't be a, there won't be a wake the special edition <laughs> <like that. laughs> i will change the ending but it yeah i think you just got to see that as a snapshot of of what kind of person and filmmaker you were because that's i mean i think hopefully you know film is a is a reflection of the person you are at that time even if you're trying to tell a weird uh, story about a man dressed as a werewolf or a man reanimating his wife i think it, there needs to be a lot of you in that uh, otherwise, you're you know, it's got to, you're just making horror for for horror's sake. You you've got to put a bit of yourself in there.
1: Yeah, and I mean, like going back to my earlier question of, do you find it hard watching other movies? Like, would you be critical of like triple A stuff? Would you just become Joe Soap and you're like, oh, that new Star Wars was a pile of shit, or whatever? <laughs> no, I
0: mean, no, I mean, I I mean, I I just I just love cinema. I think I think people. I think you can't pin yourself down there's so much to expose yourself to as, as a yeah, filmmaker yeah. it's like if you like if you write books you should read as much as possible and if you what you know make films you should just consume as much of course content as possible because so i love my, you know i loved infinity for war i love my AAA a stuff but you've got to love your indies and you've got to love all your and people making this you know the low budget 20,000 pound films because there's some gems out there and there's some amazing filmmakers that's all over. So I think you, you just got to and and learn so much from watching. I think that's the other thing you just like you were saying about not just looking for all the mistakes, but looking at the stuff that they've done differently, like the quiet place. Like how did they come up with that? It's such an obvious idea. Why didn't I come up with that? Of course. You know, and, that's,
1: and that's what motivates people then to go out and try their own hand. And it could end up it. being shit, but somewhere along the line, Like there's generations of people inspired by 80s horror to keep going. I mean, that's a no brainer. There's imitators left, right and center. There's people having their own take. Like, it's fantastic. It really breeds uh, like life into the industry and people learning the arts. But then to be that extra special something to, you know, come out and people who say, wow, that kind of really reinvented things. That's kind of where it's at, really.
0: Oh, definitely. Definitely, and and like I say, I mean, and making another another version of Frankenstein uh, does scare me because, like I say, there's so much that's gone before, and 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 when you look into it, you suddenly realise, my God, there's there's hundreds of adaptations and films and and novels and books and about it, and you've got to have that. Hopefully, we have that slight twist to that idea that that makes it something new. That you're not just doing a pastiche of of Frankenstein. You're you're trying to um, yeah, make a make a new take a new take on it that that people will look at and go, oh, actually, now I can see what they did there and I can see how they've made that. Yeah. New.
1: Well, I suppose not necessarily like a comment on what you're doing, but say that you've looked up twenty versions of Frankenstein and you say, well, the, yeah, we definitely aren't doing anything in those twenty, but then there could be the next twenty and for them have what you're doing. Do you, do you ever worry that you are going to be retreading some ground that you haven't been exposed to? Like, are you going to be afraid someone in the comment section on YouTube will be like, hey, this is an exact <laughs> rip-off of the 1974 <laughs> Italian Frankenstein. Like, do you ever worry about that? Or do you say, look, I'm making this because I want to make it fuck off. People paid money because they want to watch it as well <laughs> so you can fuck off, basically. I think,
0: I, think, I mean, it's, it's that thing, isn't it? You always... I think yeah, like I say, even if with AAA stuff, even with everybody falls into that trap. I think everybody you think you've had the the most unique idea in the world and you'll you'll make it and and because we now live in a world where people will upload content
1: every in, second. Yeah, billions of, of, of minutes moment. and, and yeah, minutes kind of thing.
0: I think the thing that worries me more is um that I haven't gone out there, that I've got scripts sitting in my, my on my desk or in my drawers that I know I've got like I've got a really good take on this, or I've got a really good angle to hit this from, yeah. and then some other fucker yeah. will make it, and you go, "Oh, damn it! If only I'd made that first. Yeah, so at you're more in the school weren't... of like,
1: get it out there. I don't care.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, because it's it's and uh, hopefully nobody makes it at the same time as you. But I think as long as you're not stealing from somebody else, everybody's going to have their own t- take and twist on on. on the... There's only so many stories you can tell, but hopefully you've got that little bit extra that that makes it. A little bit different and and hopefully the best version of that that story but I think I worry more about just trying to get my work out there so people can people aren't going to come to my house and and read my script I, I gotta get these things made just so they're kind of um out in the world really
1: exactly and I'm just thinking there because you mentioned I only had you for half the amount of time we've currently been recording uh do you have any closing remarks i guess i've had you for a long time there now paul
0: oh sorry <laughs> no it's been really nice chatting with you i think that that's that, that what i was hoping for is just yeah us to to shoot the shit so it's been really nice to to just to yeah just talk to you about everything
1: yeah no it's uh, been but, really fun uh very insightful i hopefully we've got everything about paul and mary are jesus christ frank and Mary. <laughs> i'm just looking at paul here up in the corner of the file as it's recording <laughs> frank and mary that'd be, the, had... that'd be
0: the sequel that's the sequel <laughs> anyway.
1: frank got left in the dirt paul. <laughs> have i have i missed anything about frank and mary that you'd like to just get the last word in then
0: no i mean even though the kickstart is finished and we, we it's going to be a really interesting what i'm going to try and do is document uh us making the short because i think what's uh like you said yourself about your your podcast you know you found a really great niche Uh, and what i found you know people aren't sometimes willing to i mean even though you said you don't sometimes don't want to see how the sausage is made i think it is really interesting for people to see behind the the camera of of just from concept you know through scripts through to how that how you get that page on screen because it scares a lot of people and i think it puts off a lot of people but I uh, hopefully want to dis- dispel some myths about how, how you can actually get this stuff done. And uh, we're this year, as we, as we make Frank and Mary, going to hopefully document every, every step of the way and put that online so people can see us yeah, make, make this short and hopefully be interested in the whole process.
1: Excellent. And I know you said there that you like to consume all types of media. And I'm just going to say for yourself and the audience, anyone that I have talked to, The movies they've made are fantastic. So you better go out and check those because they are very, very good. I don't talk to schmucks, (laughs) Paul, and you're no schmuck. (laughs) I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Excellent. Well, Paul, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. Thank you very much for taking time out of your evening. And it was an absolute pleasure talking to you. And I'm really looking forward to Frank and Mary. Got it right this time. (laughs) Fantastic excellent well you enjoy the rest of your night you too and that was my chat with paul williams great guy very interesting chat i'm very much looking forward to frank and mary you should definitely check out the third man it's a really entertaining very british show so check that out in the show notes And for me, as always, at the Fear Merchant everywhere. And I'll see you in the next episode. Take care. Oh, my sweet darling. Oh, my dearest love. I'll count the hours that you're away. Oh, darling, so long. Not on the lips.